I'm telling you, man, this is a cool movie. They stick cool scenes and cool shots because this is just a cool-ass movie. Hey, I'm David. And I'm Milan. Welcome to I Finally Watched, where we talk about movies that at least one of us has never seen before. And today, I finally watched Reservoir Dogs. So, David, uh, what did you think of Reservoir Dogs? Uh, I liked it. It's obviously like a highly regarded movie by like film fans, like film buffs. I think what's so amazing about it is it's basically Tarantino's you know first film, and it's on such a limited budget. So working within those confines to make such kind of a masterpiece is just really amazing. I think that makes it that much more amazing. You definitely get a lot of Quentin Tarantino's, his tropes. I guess it's his first movie, so you can't quite call them tropes yet. But you have the violence, you have the language, you even have like the bright red blood that he's uh, pretty famous for. Um, but also, you know, I see a lot of like story structure as well. The the plot is kind of a who who's done it in a sorry in a way that you know on the on the team of thieves there's a mole, and they're trying to figure out who the mole is. And you see a lot of that kind of who's done it storyline through his other movies, uh, even if they're not the main storyline in his other films. There's definitely scenes dedicated to that plot point. One thing that I'm reminded of is that scene in Inglorious Bastards that they, uh, they're trying to fit, um, not that they're trying to figure out who the American is in, in, all the Nazi, in, a, in a room full of Nazis, but how the American gave away that he was an American and not a, not a Nazi. He was a Brit, but yeah. Or a Brit, yeah. Yeah, I think the, the, the two things I noticed that were so Tarantino in this movie is like the non sequitur dialogue where he's, it starts off with him explaining, um, well, it starts off in the car scene, but after that, the, where's the diner scene first? The diner scene where he's going on about like the song Like a Virgin and explaining what it's about. And it's not actually about being a virgin. Um, right. And then his appreciation for music, Tarantino loves to put, you know, different types of old, new music in in uh, in his movies, and so seeing that from the beginning, it you know, he he had his style from the start, and it's just become more polished throughout his movies until now. It's just so great. Yeah, exactly. No, I I was actually really surprised um, when I first saw this, what they accomplished with such a low budget. And the fact that it is such a, like a highly regarded film. To me, I, I feel like this type of film is just like a really cool film. Uh, like just the way it starts. And uh, you notice the, uh, the slow-mo walk that... Um, he stole from Swingers, yeah. Yeah, he stole. Yeah, I just think it's like a really just kind of a smooth film. Really cool, a cool guy's film. Yeah. I um it was also I think the the story is just so well thought out. I was uh watching it a second time and they talk about how the uh the cops just came out of nowhere and he was like, you know, Mr. Pink's describing it should take cops four minutes to get there. But these cops were there a minute, you know, a minute after we got there. And and uh Mr. White, Harvey Keitel is like well, yeah, you know, it's crazy because the, you know, the alarm goes off and then I look and the cops are there. 
And Mr. Pink's like, well, no. Mr. Blonde started shooting, and then the cops showed up. And as this was happening, I was like, why would, uh, why, why were the cops there? Because in the end, Mr. Orange says that, oh, the cops are trying to get Joe. This whole operation is to get Joe Cabot, um, this kind of ringleader gangster. And then it's, you know, it's revealed that they didn't, the cops didn't reveal themselves until Mr. Blonde started shooting everyone. And then it's like, ah, that makes sense. Like that whole story ties together because the cops weren't going to do anything. But then Mr. Blonde just starts executing people in the jewelry store. And it's like the cops just can't sit there and allow that to happen. And so then they react and then they kind of uh, try and do something. So I think like the, the story is so simple, but it's so well thought out with just like the tiny details that just tie together really well. I noticed a lot of, um, like you said, tiny details that tied together. I noticed that in the very first scene, the diner scene, um, kind of after they talked about like a virgin and it, the camera is panning around the room. You have a lot of, because um, all the characters are there. All, all the characters are, are sitting um, at that diner, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a diner. Um, and you have little moments like how Harvey Keitel takes away Joe's book to show like, yeah, Joe's the leader, but he also has respect for Harvey Keitel's character. And there's not tension, but he, he'll stand up to Joe. You know, there, there's, that, there's that certain respect. And then you have uh, Steve Buscemi's character, Mr. Pink, that he won't tip. So you kind of get into the, like, his mind frame. It's like, okay, he's, he's kind of a, not, not so much of a cheapskate, but he looks out for himself. You know, he's kind of number one, and he, he has very little empathy for others. He's also an idealist. And he, yeah, he's also an idealist. Um, and then you have Mr. Blonde, who was like, hey, Joe, if you want me to shoot, uh, what was Harvey Keitel's character? Uh, Mr. White. Mr. White, that's right. You want me to shoot Mr. White? Uh, I'll be glad to do it. And, you know, they get a real close up, and he does some finger guns to, to so, you know, kind of just a, a hint of his violence right there. Yeah, and you can even see Joe kind of like not really trusting Mr. Orange on, I think he said something about, you know, Joe misspoke and Mr. Orange corrected him and Joe was like, hey, don't, don't correct me, you know? So I think there's little moments in the very first scene that quickly establishes who they are and their relationship to each other. Yeah, I will say though that in that first scene, it sort of paints Mr. Blonde, Vic Vega, you find out his name is Vic Vega later, but it paints him as, I don't know, it's kind of a cool, chill character, but, you know, he'll he'll want to, he kind of wants to take the lead a little bit and, you know, protect Joe, and he doesn't want Mr. White kind of harassing his boss, but kind of, you know, sort of playing an alpha dog type character. And then the scene where they kind of introduce you to Vic Vega and his relationship, you know, it paints him as a guy who's willing to go to jail to protect Joe. But then the scene with the cop, you know, Tarantino's done a movie about Hitler and uh, with the main character that chases down Jewish people to, to capture them. And he did Django Unchained with, with slave owners. And yet Vic Vega is in a three minute scene is one of the most evil people I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Like he just enraged me in such little time and disgusted me 
this movie is nothing but spoilers, so just stop it now and go watch it and then come back. But having Mr. Orange blast him away was one of the most satisfying things that I've ever seen in a movie. It's, it's, it's so great. But the funny thing is, is that, you know, he, he has the cop tied up and he's pouring gasoline on him and he's going he's gonna to light him on fire. And I'm sitting there watching it. And, you know, I've, I've seen this movie like two or three other times before. I'm sitting there watching it like, well, I don't remember the cop catching on fire, but I also don't remember what happened to Vic Vega. And then in the moment of my, like, you know, brain trying to figure out what happened, boom, 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 just blasted to the other side. Orange wakes up, just freaking kills the guy. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so good. I have to say, though, that cop, is like the unsung hero of the whole film uh, because you know they're they're torturing him first they're beating on him because they want to know who the who the rat is who the mole is and so they beat on him for a while and he you know he says he doesn't know and then he's alone with Mr. Blonde who ties him up cuts his face with like a straight blade and then proceeds to cut off his ear douse him with gasoline and light him on fire and you find out that he knows that mr orange is the rat and he was going to die and be tortured without giving him up yeah i agree i also had the thought too of like if he did light him on fire and then mr pink and mr white and nice guy eddie come back like what are they gonna say about that (laughs) just like why did like First of all, Mr. White would probably just shoot him right then and there because it's just like, what are you doing? And, and it was also it was also kind of interesting. And Mr. Pink and Mr. White talk about this and kind of a little bit in the beginning after they get into the warehouse. Mr. Pink's like, did you have to shoot anybody? And uh, Mr. White's like, two cops. And then Mr. Pink's like, well, he's like, no, like real people. Did you have to shoot any real people? And he's like, no. It's like the way they view cops because of what they do is just they don't view them as human. And even though of the actual bad guys mr white is supposed to be kind of like the moral one of them he's still like not a great person like none of those people besides mr orange and the cop are good people i mean even even mr pink who you're gonna you know you could try and say like he's a professional and you know he has these morals is, is a racist it's just all horrible people in this movie Right. I mean, about Mr. Pink being a racist, you, you hear the N-word uh, a lot in this, in this film coming out of Mr. Pink, but also coming out of other characters. And I'm watching this with my girlfriend and she turns to me and she goes, why are they saying uh, that word so much? And I was like, babe, they're bad guys. How <laughs> else are you going to show them being bad people if they don't use that word? Well, <laughs> there's, there's many other ways. But I think it, it, it does also exemplify that they're just bad people. I mean, Quentin Tarantino likes to use that word a lot. I think, you know, of course, in Django, he uses it. Um, I believe in Inglorious Bastards, it's, it's used, maybe. I wouldn't. Maybe. It, I know in Pulp Fiction, they use it. I mean, you know, he, he uses the word, but he gives the word to bad people in his stories, you know? yeah. It's surprising it's not a more controversial element of his movies. It's definitely something people talk about. But I think, one, the rest of his movies are so great, too. But then also, when you have a movie like Django, which is kind of like an escapist, 
let's kill some slave owners and you have a let's kill some Nazis um, movies that people I think are more willing to be like, all right, well, you know, he definitely, he's definitely showing like which side he agrees with. So the other thing I noticed about this too is kind of the um, auteur aspects of, of the way he shot this. One scene, um, Mr. Pink is kind of doing, uh, it's before Mr. Blonde shows up, Mr. Pink's doing a little bit of a monologue to Mr. White as, uh, as Mr. Orange has been passed out. I think they're even talking about maybe taking him to the hospital. Mr. Pink's going on and on and on. But the entire shot is of Mr. White, of Harvey Keitel and his reaction to it. And it's like not something I've ever seen a whole lot of in a movie where the entire shot of someone's monologue is of another person. The yeah. other thing I noticed that was really cool to me, but it also led me astray for a minute. Um, so after you find out that uh, Mr. Orange is a cop, and it goes back and tells his story before this whole day of this bank ro or this diamond heist. Um, he meets with uh, what you assume to be kind of his like police captain. And once the police captain believes him, there's this shot from outside the diner of them hugging. And in a normal movie, that would be a shot of, you know, uh, Joe Cabot's henchmen like taking a picture of this because they found this out and they've, they've caught him. Right. But instead, it was just like, Tarantino flexing his muscle a little bit and like look at this cool shot <laughs> and which it was uh like it didn't it didn't really serve a story purpose but it was just a cool shot and like I enjoyed that it, it is it you know what it stuck out to me on this watch also it's such a voyeuristic shot that you are expecting it to to kind of be like a reveal or some something like that and it's not uh I I felt like that in a couple other places in the film uh one of my favorite scenes is he had to practice his undercover story and his his uh captain was like hey you know what's a really convincing undercover story is if you have a funny little anecdote about you know a drug deal gone wrong or something and he's like you got to practice this anecdote like you know it like the back of your hand um you have to know uh in this case this this story takes place in a in a public bathroom it's like you got to know if there's doors or stalls if you got to know if there's crap in the corner of the floor and how clean the toilet seats are and is there a smell and then they kind of like personify that as like he's telling it it's showing him doing it and it's just it turns into one of my favorite scenes especially the scene where he's describing it to his captain and then it the camera pans and now he's telling it to joe and Harvey Keitel and Chris Penn. And then it kind of wraps around again and you see the police. And this is like the kind of the showing of what happened in this fictitious scene. And then it kind of pans around and it's um, Mr. Orange telling the story while to these cops basically. But you know, it's really him telling it to at the bar to Joe and Mr. White and nice guy Eddie. And so it's just, just a really cool, well-done scene and like one of those non-sequiturs that it's just like, this is such kind of a small movie that takes place in like a compact space. But to add this little backstory and add this cool anecdote, I mean, this scene goes on for, you know, maybe three to five minutes and so, but it's really, I think it's a nice, nice touch in the movie. Really, really enjoyed it. I'm telling you, man, this is a cool movie. They stick cool scenes and cool shots because this is just a cool-ass movie. What are you doing? I'm just saying. 
it's awesome. I, I you don't even have to be like in the movie or one of the characters to feel as cool as those characters are. You watch it and you feel like ten times cooler. Did you ever dress up in a suit with like a a colored tie and tell people you were Mr. Orange or Mr. White? A colored tie. They all have black ties. I know, but what whatever. Anyway. One thing I really, going back to like the detail-oriented nature of it, watching it again when Mr. White is kind of carrying Mr. Orange around, he's like, she had a baby, you know, and you're like, oh, what What are you talking about? And then it kind of, you see it eventually when, you know, the shooting happens. And one, because it's low budget, they didn't, they, they probably couldn't afford a baby to actually have in the back seat, And then that creates the complications of having these guys who are already evil just stick a baby on the side of the road with their dead mother. But two, also, it's this nice little, like, oh, why is he mentioning that she had a baby? You know, these are evil guys. And then you find out, oh, it's because he's, later on, you're going to find out he's the cop. So when you watch it back the first time, it's like, oh, that's that's a good little, like, little piece to put there to kind of, you know, because it's, it's a whodunit, but it's it's just an interesting movie. I... Watching it the first time, like I did not care who who the 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 narc was, who the the undercover cop was. That wasn't really, at least to me, the point of watching this movie. It was to you know for the dialogue and then how is this going to play out. But it could have been anyone. It, in in retrospect, it's probably the most obvious. You know, there's so many clues that he leaves uh, at one point when Mister Blonde and Mister um, White and Mister Pink are all there. Uh, Mr. Pink's like, oh, well, I know it's not Mr. Blonde because you're too effing crazy for it to be you. Like, someone who works with cops isn't going to shoot a bunch of people. And he's like, I know it's not me. And he's like, and I'm pretty sure it's not Mr. White. And it's like, all right, well, who's left? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, it could be someone who who's died or who hasn't shown up because there's, um, there's two guys for a while. You don't know what happened to them and they don't know what happened to them. Well, you know uh, Mr. Brown's dead. Well, you don't find that until a little little later. Um, no, find that out in the beginning. Um, he tells Mr. Pink. He's like, because he, it was one of those things that I had to like look back on, but I think he, uh, Tarantino, who plays Mr. Brown, gets like shot in the head, but then somehow is able to keep driving for a while and then finally collapses and dies. Right. Um, but there's, there's uh, the older guy too, right? They don't find out what happens to him until later. I was pretty sure with how he was acting in the beginning that, once we didn't see him come to the warehouse initially, that he wasn't going to be a large part of the rest of this movie. Yeah, no. Yeah, so, okay, so we talked about the um, Steve Miller band playing in the background, cutting off the ear scene. Um, Which is just iconic at this point, that song. Yeah. Um, I know we were talking about Taxi Driver a few episodes ago and how you know, the, the you talking to me thing is, is used over and over, parodied and parodied. Uh, for this movie, I would say it's definitely the, the cutting the year scene is just like this movie, is you talking to me. Well, just the dancing too. Um, and then the, uh, like going to get the gasoline. What I thought was really cool about that scene is he's dancing to this song. It's a, it's a cool scene besides the torture. And then he walks outside and the music cuts because he's listening to a radio. So this is just real to life. Right. Gets the gas can. There's just silence. You know, it's the noises of him opening his trunk, closing, whatever. Going back in and then 
timed up perfectly to where the song would have been, like listening to it again, uh, dancing to it, pouring the gasoline on them. So just, yeah, I mean, such an iconic scene and it, one I kind of knew about, but li- like lived up to it for sure. What's funny is after that scene um, and the song ends and he's shot and you know, the, everyone, <laughs> everyone's bleeding on the floor and uh, white, Eddie, Joe, they come in. I kept hearing this like background noise and to the point where it's like bothering me and I paused my television and then the background noise stopped. And then it didn't occur to me. I was like, oh, the radio in the movie is still playing. And I was like, (laughs) just, it was kind of funny because it wasn't playing any music. It was just kind of like this low whisper. But yeah, just attention to detail. It's like, yeah, no one turned off the radio. Why, Why wouldn't the radio still be playing? Yeah, and also I thought the uh, the effects on the ear after it was cut off, like the guy's, the side of his head was, I don't know what that would look like, but it looked amazingly realistic to me. It was so good. So good. It's like, oh yes, that's where the million dollars went in the 1.2 million budget. Yeah, I can only imagine what they had to get, have gotten paid for this, like each guy. Because obviously it's a small group. This is a lot of their like first movies too. Like I think it's one of Tim Roth's first, um, you know, and it's, it's a couple of those guys, like their last movie, like, you know, they were stars back in the day, but when this movie came out, they weren't that big. So he picked, I felt like he picked casts that either were just starting out or their career was going down. So they didn't probably have, like they, they didn't demand a high uh, pay grade. Yeah. And one thing I think obviously we're probably going to talk about the ending and the theories on that. But one thing that was driving me nuts the entire movie was what does nice guy Eddie sound like? And after my second watch, I figured it out. He sounds like a combo of Chunk from the Goonies and Jonah Hill from Superbad when he (laughs) talks. Okay. I've never seen the Goonies. What? I know. Um, but I totally get the Jonah Hill reference, and I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to do the Goonies soon then, so you can confirm. I, I have the DVD of the Goonies, never opened, pristine condition. So, yeah, I mean, every, I think everyone did really well. I think, of course, Tim Roth playing Mr. Orange did an incredible job. You know, when I first, not to interrupt, but I'm going to interrupt. When I first saw the scene in the car, I was like, man, that's kind of like, a bit over the top, but watching it back again, I was just like, you know what? That's probably how you act when you've gotten shot. And as Mr. White describes, this is one of the most painful places to get shot because it doesn't kill you. It just hurts. Also freaking out because of all the cops that have gotten killed and the woman he had to shoot. Um, So I actually, upon rewatch, thought that 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 first scene was so well acted. Yeah. No, I just like, oh my God. And he's just sitting there and it cuts to him a few times uh, after he's fallen unconscious. And there's just a pool, uh, like a freaking pool of blood. And I'm like, I am curious. I know like getting shot hurts and I bet getting shot in the gut hurts. And I know you don't die right, right away, but can someone lose that much blood and still like, be alive be be, but even alive enough to like sit up put like five rounds in a guy's chest and then you know fall back down right 
I thought the acting was great too, but my one nitpick uh, back to nice guy, Eddie was the, the part where he's like to Mr. Orange, let me get this straight. And talking about how Mr. Blonde had done this big plan. He's like, and you're telling me this guy was going to turn his back on after what he did to my dad with all the offers he had. I thought that was like, not the best could have been a little better maybe another take i don't know i don't want to speak ill of someone who's passed but i think i thought the rest of his acting was fine i thought it was very progressive that when they were torturing the cop to try and find out who the mole was that he was like if you torture him he's just going to tell you whatever you want to hear he'll tell you that he set the chicago fire doesn't mean it's true and i was like oh wow nice guy eddie realizing torture doesn't work and that you can't get accurate information i was like very progressive for 1992 that really like stuck out to me. Way to go, Tarantino. But what that scene did for me is it made me really sweat for Mr. Orange. You know, he had this kind of this perfect cover. Mr. White backs him up. He's like, yeah, Mr. Blonde is, is freaking insane. And he's like, yeah, he was going to light me. He was going to, I mean, he was going to light the guy on fire. He's going to shoot me, shoot you guys, take the diamonds. And then, yeah, nice guy, Eddie was like, Oh, really? And it just was like, it's, it's a very suspenseful scene. Yeah, I feel like if Mr. Orange had just said he was going to shoot me and take, you know, to, so that I didn't get a cut, or he was going to kill me, he started torturing the cop and then said I was next. And he didn't realize that I was passed out. He could, you know, he was dying, so I give him credit. But I, I mean, a more believable story he might have been able to come up with. Although in hindsight, he didn't know that Vic Vega had this relationship with Joe and his son, so... Yeah. Also, what is up with Eddie calling his his dad daddy the whole time? <laughs> weird. It's just weird. You know, if he if he actually wasn't the if he actually wasn't the son of Joe and he called him daddy, I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> I would think something like. Uh, I think I think you made your point. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, okay. There's that definitely, but also it's like uh, like daddy o. Like, he's kind of like the godfather of the group in a way. Um, I, I, I like that they left it vague what Joe was. Obviously, he's some sort of, like... Crime boss. Crime boss, gangster, but what, you know, what level is he? he uh, they mentioned that they have a meeting in Vegas, and so that they got to go to. And it's like, you know, that could be kind of a, a meeting of families across the country. So I, I like that aspect of they, because of, you know, the way the movie's shot and, and the story they were telling, that they left certain elements of it, you know, teased at it but left it vague i thought that was a nice touch agreed agreed i wanted to get your thoughts on the ending because there's a couple like sort of left to the imagination what happens one's obviously the for some reason mr orange tells mr white that he's a cop which i don't get because at this point he has a chance to live maybe he doesn't think he does because he just got shot again and he's like i'm gonna die i'm I'm not gonna make it to a hospital and he tells mr white he's a cop so then mr white pulls a gun on him the cops come in and like put the gun down, put the gun down. And then you hear a gunshot, pause, and then several gunshots, which I think is obviously letting you believe Mr. White shot Mr. Orange and then was taken out in like a hail of bullets. And so neither of them lived, which right. is my takeaway. Right. But it's at least left up to interpretation that maybe Mr. White didn't shoot him. Right. And I, you know, I think that's my takeaway too is, yeah, they ended up both dying. Um, There's some like people on the internet that are like, oh, well, if you count his bullets between firing at the cops and firing at, you know, nice guy Eddie and Joe, 
Uh, and you take all that into consideration that he didn't have enough bullets to, to put one into Mr. Orange, you know? He, he, couldn't, he couldn't reload? He couldn't reload. Is that know? Eclipse? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, like, maybe it is obvious. Maybe Quentin wanted to take, uh, wanted us to take it at, at face value. But then again, you have to think, if he did, then why was it off, off uh, camera? Yeah. I just had a thought why it was off camera. Because it had a twelve, a one point two million dollar budget, you can't. How is he going to show a guy getting his head blown off? There, solved. He died. The other question is, Mister Pink, does he yes. live? Yes. And you know, so like watching it back, he has plenty of time to get in a car and get out of there before you hear any signs of police showing up. But one thing I did notice is it almost sounded like a car being unable to start outside. Yeah. Like I kept hearing it over and over. And then you hear cops yelling at someone and you hear a bunch of gunshots. So I think that's like left open to be vague, but I could totally, if, if Tarantino wanted to, and maybe he said, but I don't know, I didn't do any research. If he was just like, no, no, yeah, he's dead. He got shot. But at the same time, I could totally hear like, oh, they were shooting at him, but he got away. Right. But there's definitely like all this background noise that can leave it open to your imagination of what happened out there, which is, I, I think, a really cool way to do it. A lot of times I don't like open-ended endings for movies, but if it's really well done, which I think this was, I like it. And I think it was well done. Yeah, I think those are the two like most popular um, conspiracy theories um, that that go along with this with this film. Um, I think there's a few more, but but... Uh, those two are definitely the ones worth mentioning. I think this movie has a very high rewatchability that not a lot of movies can have. And I think a lot of that is because of the vagueness. Just the way people freaking enter the room is so cool. Like, yeah, Mr. Blonde, freaking evil guy, bad dude. But man, there is nothing cooler than when he first comes into that warehouse wearing his like, uh, what was that? Like Tom Cruise from Cocktail Glasses, big overcoat, sipping on a, on a um, soda from a fast food joint. And he's just like, what the fuck are you guys looking at? And he's just smoking a cigarette. I'm like, that is so badass, you know? Yeah, I, um, so this is not, after watching it, not my favorite Tarantino movie, it's amazing. And so saying something's not my favorite Tarantino movie is like saying it's like my least favorite ice cream or pizza. Like, it's like, it's all great. You know, I love Inglorious Bastards. I just rewatched Django Unchained and it's just, it's great. Like so intense. His latest Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is amazing. This is great too. And I think what's great about it as far as being able to watch it again and again, which at some point I will do, is those other three movies are like two hours, 45 minutes each. And this is a very slim hour and 39 minutes, which makes it so easy to rattle off if you just have some time. And it's just, you know, it's got great dialogue. It's such like a, it's such a 90s movie when you compare it to like his, his newer stuff. It's like, it's got that feel of late 80s, early 90s. But yeah, it's, I'll for sure watch this again. Well, that was our episode. I finally watched Reservoir Dogs. This is David. And this is Alon. Bye. Bye.